Okay for now, Chapter 2, The Red-Throated Diver. The next Saturday, the Saturday before, I was going to begin my new job at Spicer's Deli, which, if they thought I was any good, I would have been starting now. I was waiting on the library steps. Again. People who passed by looked at me like I didn't belong. Again. I hate stupid Marysville. Every few minutes, I went up the six steps to the library doors and tried them, and they were, of course, still locked, so I'd go sit down. I waited for what must have been an hour, until finally the woman with her glasses on a chain looped around her neck. She already had them looped around her neck, even though she wasn't even in the library yet. She came walking up the block and climbed the steps and looked back down at me like I was trespassing. The Marysville Free Public Library does not open until 10 o'clock, she said. I know, I said. These steps were not made for people to sit on, she said, especially since you might get in the way of others who would wish to use them. I looked up and down the block, then moved way over to the edge of the steps. Dang, I said. I didn't see all the people jamming to get inside. Don't they all know that the Marysville Free Public Library does not open until 10 o'clock? She sniffed. I'm not lying. She sniffed. Go find some other place to be rude, she said. Is this one reserved for you? I said. I know. I was sounding like Lucas. She took out a key from her purse, put it into the door, and opened it, and went inside. She clanged the door shut behind her. She turned the bolt in the lock hard enough for me to hear. I hate this stupid town. I hate it. I waited on the steps, right in the middle of them, my legs all spread out as far as I could spread them. It wasn't too much longer before an old guy came from the other direction. He had glasses on a chain looped around his neck, too, and I almost told him what a jerk he looked like with glasses looped around his neck, except I figured it wouldn't make any difference. He probably wouldn't even care that he looked like a jerk. You're an eager one, he said, but the library doesn't open until 10 o'clock. That's what I've been told, I said, and he laughed like there was something funny about that. I see you've met Mrs. Miriam. Is that why you're sitting like that? I looked at him. He had hair coming out of funny places like his ears, his nose, between his eyes. He didn't need the looped glasses to look like a jerk. I guess, I said. You should be glad she hasn't called a policeman to have you removed. He pulled out a pocket watch. I'm not lying, a pocket watch? And flipped it open. It's already past 9.30, he said. I don't think we'll undermine all law and order in the state of New York if I let you in early. He put his pocket watch back and then took the steps kind of slowly. He puffed his breath out when he reached the top. There seems to be more of these every time I climb them, he said, and he took a key from his pocket. The library was even cooler than it had been a week ago, and darker, since the only light came through windows that were stained yellow and didn't let in all that much. Mrs. Miriam glanced up from the desk, and when she saw me, the look on her face was the look she probably gave to the bottom of her shoe when she stepped in something that she didn't want to step in. Oh, do you know that face? You know the face when you step in, like, dog poop or something, and you look at it, and you're like, oh, ooh. That's the face that he thinks Mrs. Miriam is giving to him when she looks at him. The library does not open until 10 o'clock, she said. Exactly right, said the man, who was still puffing a little. Mr. Powell, she began. Oh, just this once, he said. You don't know the meaning of just this once. How many times have you let the Spicer girl in early just this once? for which she will one day thank us when she dedicates her first book to the Marysville Free Public Library. Mr. Powell turned to me. Perhaps you will do the same. Now, is there anything I can point you toward? I shook my head. I'll look around. He nodded. If I were you, he said, I'd start in the 900s over there, but that's because I've always been partial to biography. I didn't go over to the 900s. 
Why doesn't he just go up the stairs and go look at the Arctic Turn? That's why he came. Why doesn't he just go up there? Why is he hesitating? First, I tried the 500s, which looked pretty dull if you ask me. And then over to the 600s, which looked a whole lot duller. And I'm not lying. The 700s were better. And I looked through a bunch of them to see if I could find a picture of the Arctic Turn. But I couldn't. I guess you're wondering why I didn't go up to the book on the second floor right away. I mean, that's why I was there for. Not for some stupid biographies in the 900s. I think it was because I didn't want Mrs. The Library Isn't Open, Miriam's eyes, looking at me like I was something on the bottom of her shoe when I went up there. I just didn't. So I messed around in the 700s looking for the turn until I saw Mr. Powell head over to the front doors to unlock them so the bazillion people who had been waiting outside and probably spreading themselves all over the six steps could come in. And some did. And the library began to hum with talk that carried because of the marble. And Mrs. Miriam adjusted her looped glasses and started checking in return books and telling people to keep their voices low. And I crossed the hall and went up the stairs. No one had come up here yet, so the lights hadn't been turned on. But the Arctic turn was still there, falling. The morning sun that slanted through the windows, they were stained yellow up here too. The sun showed the water darker and rougher and the terrified eye. I put my pretend pencil over the glass case again and I started drawing the wings. I drew the lines down from the wingtips and then shortly back up into the body. I tried to fill in the six rows of feathers, keeping them all the same in each row until I came in close where the feathers faded into the body. Dang, they look like fur. I could feel the wind rush over their tightness, then falling the line down the bird toward the water, curving it up around his neck a little, no, a little less, and then back down again toward the water, ending at the perfect point of his lower beak, where it stopped being beak and became air. And then the light snapped on. Mr. Powell, puffing a lot. He looked at me, a little surprised. He had his glasses on instead of looped across his chest, so he didn't look like too much of a jerk. Oh, I'm sorry, he said. I should have turned these lights on sooner. It doesn't matter, I said. <clears throat> he walked over to the glass case and looked down into it. Sterna Arctica, he said. I looked at him. Arctic turn, I said. I didn't want to think I was a chump, like I didn't know the bird. That's right, he said. There used to be a little card around here somewhere. Remember, Doug took that like a little business card, little placard. Isn't it a beauty? You can feel it plummeting through the air. I didn't say anything. I came up to turn the page. I do it once a week, but I can wait if you want. I shrugged. He looked down again at the stern of bird. I think I'll wait, he said. Who drew this? He turned and pointed to the picture on the wall. He did. John James Audubon, almost 150 years ago. He looked in the glass case. You want to try drawing it yourself? I shook my head. Oh, I don't draw. Ever try? I said I don't draw. Woo! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is Doug being so mad about that? Well, we know that he would like to draw, right? Because he's pretending to hold the pencil and trying to draw the wings and the beak and the terrified eye. He's trying at home to, in the air, draw his mother's smile. So we know he's got like an aptitude for it or a like for it. So why can't he admit, sure, I want to be able to draw? We were talking in class about how at this time, maybe it's not cool for boys to be able to draw. 
Maybe it's not this time. Maybe it's just his dad and his brother. Think of his dad and his brother found out that he likes to draw. Oh my gosh, they would make fun of him so bad, right? Something about boys can't draw, only girls draw. Well, let's think about that. John James Audubon, he was a boy and he drew these. So he's getting quite upset because he knows that he'll be made fun of for wanting to draw and liking to draw. So you did. I'll leave the book open to this page, and if you change your mind or want to read about the artist, I'll... I turned and left before you could finish. Whoa, rude. He just turned and walked away before Mr. Pell even stopped talking. Hm. What a jerk. Didn't he hear me say I don't draw? Chumps draw. Girls with pink bicycle chains draw. I don't draw. What is he, old and deaf? I hate this town. Really? Okay, now we can see... Mr. Powell has only been kind to him, and yet he's still, I hate this town, you know. I could kind of see with Mrs. Miriam treating him poorly that he'd be like, I hate this town. But Mr. Powell has only been nice, so we know that it's mostly Doug's problem. Think about when he's sitting on the stairs and people walk by and look at him like, I don't belong, I don't belong. Do you ever sometimes imagine that people are treating you that way when really they're not? Maybe that's what you're hoping that they'll do. Does that even make sense? I'll just keep reading. A week later, I wasn't at the library when it opened at 10 o'clock, and if you've been paying attention, you should know why. I was over at Spicer's Deli before 9, still tasting the salt and peppery fried eggs that my mother had made for me before I left. Mr. Spicer and Lil were standing by two wagons, and one was already packed with filled brown bags. Lil will have the second one waiting for you by the time you get back from this first run, Mr. Spicer said. He handed me a drawn map with the houses of the customers marked and told me the order I should go in, which depended on how far away the houses were and how much ice cream was in the brown bags, which made a lot of sense. So it was already somewhere up in the 80s, probably, and the white haze in the air said it was going to be a whole lot hotter. So Mr. Spicer's giving him a hand-drawn map. <laughs> Those are hard to read. And Mr. Spicer knows where everything is, so it might not be super clear because he knows where everything is. So watch and see what problems Doug has just trying to read the hand-drawn map. And then there's something else wrong, too. Let's find out what. Do you want to warn him about Mrs. Windermere now or later, said Lil. Mr. Spicer looked at her. He doesn't have anything to worry about, he said. Lil looked at me and mouthed, yes, you do. All the houses on this first run are within a couple of blocks of the deli, Mr. Spicer said, so it shouldn't take long if you put your mind to it. You better get going before the ice cream starts to melt. So, I got going. But I'm not lying. It wasn't so easy to match Mr. Spicer's hand-drawn letters to the letters on the street signs. And so it probably did take a little longer than it would have for someone who had lived all his life in stupid Marysville, which Mr. Spicer didn't seem to understand as well as he should. You'll have to pick up the pace if we're going to get all these orders delivered, he said when I got back. I nodded. Here's the problem. So Doug's looking at the hand-drawn map, and Mr. Spicer's handwriting's probably even sloppier than mine. And Doug can't figure out the letters and then compare them to the, like, the type letters on the signs because Doug can't read. He can't read very well. That's why he's never been in a library, right? And so this is a huge challenge for him that he can't read enough to figure out, like, the different font from Mr. Spicer's handwriting to figure it out, the, the writing on the sign. 
or the top of 41. Lil's got the next wagon all, all set, right? Here's the map. You'll get to know all these by heart, but you have to keep your mind on it this time. Oh, terrific. Are you going to warn him about Mrs. Windermere yet? said Lil. I set out again, dragging the wagon behind me. After ten minutes, I had no idea how to find any of the streets on the map, so I had to stop and ask someone who was edging the lawn in front of her house. <laughs> like it really mattered to anyone if her grass was cut in a straight line. <laughs> I held up the map and asked if she knew where the street was for the first house. She put down her edger, took off her garden gloves, and looked at the map. That's Gardener. That's this street, she said. She pointed up at the sign in the corner. <laughs> Didn't you see it? No, I didn't see it. Jerk, I wouldn't have asked you if I had seen it, would I? That's what I wanted to say. So number 19 would be, I said, a few houses down on the other side. Evelyn Mason's place, she pointed. It's the bright yellow one with the white impensions under the porch. I don't know how you say that word. Impantine? I say impansion because I think it looks like patient. I headed down to Evelyn Mason's place with the stupid white impatience under the stupid porch, knocked on the stupid door handed over the stupid bags of groceries, showed her the stupid map, and said, I have to get over to... and she pointed the way. That's how I got by the rest of that Saturday morning. I showed the customers to the map, and they pointed the way. It worked pretty well, until Ernie Echo, oh, this is his dad's friend, the jerk, drove by, and he said, what was I doing? And I told him, and he asked if I needed help finding the houses, and I said I did, and he looked at the map and told me the way to the house after the one I was already heading to. But he told me to go in completely the wrong direction. And by the time I got that figured out and turned around and found the last house, their ice cream had mostly melted inside the foil bag, and they wouldn't pay for it. Oh, thanks, Ernie Echo. He tells him to go over here, and the house is supposed to be way over there. Wow. He's great, isn't he? So I took the ice cream back. Mr. Spicer said it could happen on anyone's first day. But I shouldn't let it happen again, and next time he'd have to take it out of my salary. Ernie Echo probably thought he was a barrel of laughs. He probably thought I was a chump. Then Mr. Spicer nodded to the last wagon. It's for Mrs. Windermere, he said. Lil whistled kind of low, like something out of the Twilight Zone. Mrs. Windermere, I said. This one's got ice cream, too. Lemon ice cream, which is expensive, so pay attention. I nodded. I wondered if he might hand me a cold coat before I left. The mercury must have left 90 behind a long time ago. Mercury is like the red stuff in a thermometer. So he's saying if it left 90 a long time ago, it means the red is like rising, so it must be super hot. And I sure did know what to do with a really cold Coke. Mrs. Windermere is supposed to pay you, Mr. Spicer said. Cash on delivery. Sometimes she tries to charge it, but then she forgets, and I have to drive over, and she's forgotten that she didn't pay, and we have a really unhappy scene, so make sure you come away with, he looked down at her bill, $22.78. Okay, I said, waiting for a cold Coke, waiting for a cold Coke, waiting for a cold Coke. And you won't even need a map for this one, Mr. Spicer said. Go over to the library. Take the street that runs into it, that's Green Street, and head out until the houses stop and there's a big field. Go across that, and you'll see the huge brick house. That's where she lives. Got it? 2278, I said. Mr. Spicer nodded. In hand, he said. A Coke, I thought, a really cold Coke with ice coming down the sides. He looked at me. You waiting for something? I wouldn't be in a hurry either if I was him, Will said. I set off on the last run of those Saturday deliveries. I decided if I found any sprinklers going, 
I jumped through them, since everything I was wearing was already dripping anyway. But there weren't any sprinklers the whole way. Are you surprised? There never are. Do you know how many blocks there were before the houses started thinning out after the library? Fourteen. Do you know how many trees there are along the road once the houses started to give out? Six. Do you know how much shade they gave? Maybe a tiny bit more than zero. Do you know how big that field before Mrs. Windermere's house was? Big. And the path that I had to drag the wagon on wasn't exactly mowed. By the time I got there, I couldn't believe I was still sweating. Since it felt like anything liquid must have baked out of me, I couldn't believe there was still frost on the metal foil around the expensive lemon ice cream. Mrs. Windermere's house spread out at the end of a long brick path, and the bricks were baking hot. That led up from the road through the gardens on either side that had just been sprinkled with sprinklers, which were turned off now, of course, (laughs) and then past some tall evergreens, and then into some high trees that finally spread some shade down onto the world, and then through some more gardens with flowers that I would have died to bring home to my mother, and finally more baked bricks right up to the house. It was the biggest house I'd ever seen that one person owned. I mean, there were pillars in the front. Pillars! You know, those long, like, white columns? More windows than Camilla Junior High. This green and white ivy climbing up everywhere. And a doorway with a round window over it. So picture the door. Then there's a round circle window above it. That's right, over it. No one could even look out of it. It was that high up. It was quiet under the trees. No wind. The only thing I heard was someone pecking at a typewriter. And then the little bell dinging when whoever was typing reached the end of a line. But nothing else. It was like even the birds knew they had to be quiet. Because I guess no one was supposed to disturb the great Mrs. Windermere. I left the wagon at the foot of the steps that led up to the door, and I rang the doorbell and stepped back. Typing, not stopping. Little bell still dinging. I waited for a while. Typing, not stopping. Little bell still dinging. I went up and rang the doorbell again. Twice. Knocked. Twice. Typing stopped. I took a step back, which turned out to be a really good thing, because the door suddenly swung open, and there was Mrs. Windermere. At least I figured it had to be her. She had hair as white as clouds, and about as wispy, too, and big. It was all gathered like one of those huge thunderheads that rises on hot summer days. The top was in sort of a bun and tied tight with red rubber bands. And in that top bun, I'm not lying, there were three bright yellow pencils stabbing through. She wore a bluish kind of gown that shimmered. It looked like something that someone about to go to an opera would wear. Not that I've ever been to an opera or would ever be caught dead at one. Can you imagine Joe Pepitone ever going to an opera? (laughs) With the cloud on top and the shimmering blue beneath, she looked like a rainstorm that could walk around all by itself, which wouldn't have been so bad on a day that wanted to be 100 degrees. All this, by the way, took about half a second to see, because she hadn't even finished opening the door when she said, Who are you? That's not really what she said. She used a word that I'd never heard a lady use before. It came pretty close after who. You can figure it out for yourself. Uh, who do you think I am? I said. I know. Sound like Lucas. But you have to remember that she starred it. And it was hot. And Mr. Spicer had never given me that really cold coke. Ice coming down the sides. She looked behind me at the wagon. I think you are a very skinny and very rude delivery boy. And you are a very skinny and very rude delivery boy whom I have no time for right now. Go away and come back later this afternoon. She closed the door. Hard. 
piping start up again, little bell dinging. I could almost hear Lil snorting back at the deli. <laughs> I stood out there for a couple minutes. To be as thirsty as I was, you'd have to be in the French Foreign, foreign Legion and lost somewhere out in the Sahara Desert for a week. I thought about dragging that wagon back down the baking brick walk and through the field to the road. I thought about dragging that wagon down all of those 14 blocks back to Spicer's Deli. And then I thought about doing it all over again in the afternoon. Mm -mm. I rang the doorbell. Typing, not stopping. Little bell still dinging. I rang the doorbell again. Twice. Knocked. Twice. Step back. Typing, stopping. And this time the door opened even more quickly. Do you know what creativity is? Mrs. Windermere said. You have to admit, this is not something you expect a normal person to say. Mm, I'm not sure, I said. I'm sure that you do not know, or you would not be ringing this doorbell. Creativity is a god who comes only when he pleases, and it isn't very often. But when he does come, he sits beside my desk and folds his wings, and I offer him whatever he wants, and in exchange he lets me type all sorts of things that get turned into plays for which people who own New York stages are waiting. And right now, he is sitting by my desk, and he's being very kind, so if you would go away and... Suppose you offer him some ice cream, I said. Would he stay longer? She looked behind me again at the wagon. Ice cream, she said. I nodded. What kind did I order? Lemon. She considered this. Lemon, she said. I nodded again. She looked at the wagon once more. Go around back. There's a door into the kitchen. Put everything away where it's supposed to go. If you cannot figure out where, something is supposed to go. For heaven's sake, don't come and ask me. Leave it on the kitchen table. You better start with the ice cream. And do not make any noise. She closed the door again. Hard again. I followed the brick path around the house to the back. I should tell you. <clears throat> I should tell you that there was no shade around the side of the house, so things were getting sort of desperate in the thirsty department. The kitchen door was up three steps, so I grabbed the ice cream and headed up. The door was locked. Of course. Of course it was locked. I thought about going around and ringing the doorbell again. I thought about walking away and leaving the whole thing right there. Melted lemon ice cream all over the back steps. Instead, I looked under the mat by the door, and there it was, the key. Huh, pretty sneaky, Mrs. Windermere. No one would ever think to look there if he wanted to break in while she was away at the opera. Here are the stats for Mrs. Windermere's kitchen. The floor was white and yellow tile. 24 tiles wide, 18 tiles long. One rack with 16 copper pots and pans hanging over a woodblock table. Four yellow stools around the woodblock table. 12 glass cupboards, all white inside. You could have put my mother's dishes into any one of these, and you would have plenty of room left over. And the dishes, all white and yellow. And the glasses, who knows how many? All matching, not a single one chipped. You know who deserved this kitchen, right? Who? Who deserves the kitchen? His own mother. Before I did anything, I drank about a gallon and a half from the faucet. I put my head under and let the water run. I didn't even care if Mrs. Windermere came in and saw me doing it. It wasn't like I was using one of her glasses. And it tasted so good. Even better than a really cold Coke. Then I put all the groceries away, starting with the lemon ice cream into the freezer. I left the fresh beans and carrots and onions on the woodblock table. But everything else got put away in the cupboards that, if you ask me, were pretty full already. But no one was asking me. I took another long drink for the road, another gallon and a half, I'd say. Then I started out the back door and remembered 
$22.78. I could hear the typing and the dinging through the house. They were going pretty steady. Probably the god creativity was still being good to her. But I needed the $22.78. I swung open the door out of the kitchen and went into a dining room. It was cool and dark and full of roses. Big red ones on black wallpaper and big red ones in a vase in the middle of a dark table that looked like it should be in a museum or something. I felt the sound of the typing and the dinging down a long, long hall with walls hung with framed photographs of actors and actresses. Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor and Yul Brynner with his bald head and Telly Savalas with his bald head and Danny Kaye and Lucille Ball even, all posing on stages. Then the hall lit into a bright sitting room, all yellow and white again, and then down another short hall there was a glass door with diamond panes, and behind that I could see Mrs. Windermere typing wildly. Sometimes her hands went high above her shoulders before they dropped down and smacked the keys. And by the way, there wasn't any god sitting on the chair by her desk with its wings folded. He couldn't have sat there if he wanted to. The chair was filled with books, most of them lying open, one on top of another. I waited before knocking at the glass door. I'm not lying. Her typing was a sight to see. But I couldn't stand there forever, so I knocked. Typing not stopping. Little bell still dinging. I knocked again. Twice. Without turning around, she waved her hand to shoo me away. So I knocked again. Both hands up above her shoulders this time. Both hands dropping down to the typewriter. She turned around. Slowly. There was this look on her face that... Well, if she had reached for one of the sharp pencils stabbed through her bun, I would have been gone. What is it now? she said. I have the bill, I said, 2278. You have to remember that we're talking through the door here, which made the whole thing kind of weird. It was like I was talking through glass to some sort of prison inmate. Put it on my account, she said. She turned back to the typewriter to sort out all the keys that were jammed together now. I can't, I said. Mr. Spicer wants me to bring the cash back to him. She was working over a typewriter. Mrs. Windermere, I said. Oh, she said. I'm not lying. Oh, just like that. Then she stood up and grabbed the door handle, which was glass too, by the way, and threw the door open. You fix the typewriter key, she said. I'll get the money. I went to the room. It was bigger than I had thought. Its walls kept going back and back, and every wall had dark wood bookshelves to the ceiling, and every bookshelf was crammed. Out on the floor, there was a round table heaped with books. Beside that was a dark couch covered with rows of books. Everywhere on the floor, piles of books leaned into each other. On the sides of her desk and the front of her desk, more piles leaning. I never thought that one person could own so many books. I picked one up off the desk and smelled its pages. Hmm, the smell of old paper. I worked at separating the keys in her typewriter. I found it pretty quickly that the trick is to take one key at a time and just let the ink get all over your hands. And I got most of them done by the time Mrs. Windermere got back. She threw $25 at me. I don't think I have any change. Oh, I don't think I have any change, I said. Keep it, she said. Splurge. Go on a shopping spree. Book a trip to Monte Carlo. Do whatever you want. But do it away from me. Here, stop fussing with that. You'll just get everything all inky. She took over the typewriter keys. And I think by the time I backed out of the room with the $25, she had forgotten I was there. Two dollars and twenty-two cents. It was the only tip I'd gotten all day, but it was a good one. Two twenty-two. Do you know what you can do with two dollars and twenty-two cents? I had never had that much money all my own. Two dollars and twenty-two cents. So maybe it's because I was thinking about the two twenty-two. 
that I turned the wrong way in the short hall and got into a room I hadn't been in before. It was all light blues with white furniture and a white fireplace with small stone lions on either side and another vase on the dark table filled with pink roses and all over the fireplace a huge picture of birds the same size as the one of the Arctic Turn and by John James Audubon again. You could tell, but this one was different. One bird was the mother. Two were swimming away, doing what they felt like doing, not even looking at her. And there was this small bird, pretty young, who was looking like maybe it wanted to swim where the other two birds were, but maybe not. And anyway, he was afraid to try. And the mother her neck was turned all around about as far as it could possibly go and she was looking far away something a long way out from the picture she's looking at a place she wanted to go but couldn't because she didn't know how to get away oh my who in the chapter who in the book does this picture represent were you thinking Doug's mom what's she looking back at is she looking back at before they moved to Marysville or is she looking back at her relationship with her husband in previous times who's the little bird that's looking and kind of wants to follow the other two away but wants to stay because he's afraid that'd be Doug the two birds that are leaving that could be the dad and the brother there were flowers beside her I stood there looking at the picture for a long time even after the typing and dinging started up again the little one didn't know what he wanted to do at all I reached up and touched the glass over it cold. Then I found the kitchen again, went out, locked the door behind me, and hid the key in its so secret spot that no one ever think to look in. I wiped my inky hands on the grass and dragged the wagon back to Spicer's Deli. When I pulled the wagon inside, Mr. Spicer looked at his watch, then at me, like I hadn't been paying attention. Did you see Mrs. Windermere? said Lil. Yep, I said. I handed Mr. Spicer the $25. He counted it, took it to the register, and paid out my tip. Pretty nice, he said. I nodded. Well, said Lil. Well, what, I said. I pay salary every other Saturday, Mr. Spicer said. Okay, I said. I still had my two twenty-two in my hand. That's fine. I know, I'm a chump. Okay, why is he thinking he's a chump? He's thinking that he's a loser because he's thinking he should say, No, I want to be paid right now. I don't want to be paid every other week. But really, do you say that to a boss? On your first day? No, you just are glad that you're getting paid when the boss says, right? So what happened, said Lil. Then Mr. Spicer handed me a Coke. You remember, right, that I know what to do with a really cold Coke? I did it, except the burp, since Mr. Spicer was right there. Not a thing, I said when I finished. You skinny thug, said Lil. I hand her the bottle. I burped when I got out onto the street. I'm not lying, it was a pretty good one. Birds flew out of the maples. So Lil was hoping that he's going to come back with a story about, oh, she's so weird and crazy, and he's not saying anything. So he's teasing her back by, hmm, nothing happened, nothing. I put the $2.22 in my pocket and went up to the library. Mrs. Miriam looked at me, then went back to whatever she'd been working at to let me know that I wasn't worthy of Her Majesty's attention. So what? So what? It wasn't like I needed her attention. I just came to the library to see if I could get that beak right, which I probably couldn't on account of how I don't draw, like I told Mr. Powell. So what? I went upstairs. The lights were on. Mr. Powell hadn't turned the page of the book. It was still open to the Arctic turn. But there was one thing that was different. 
There were three large blank sheets of paper on the glass display case, and there were five colored pencils, gray, black, green, blue, and orange, dark orange. They were all sharp. There was an eraser, too, waiting like I had ordered them. I ran my hand over the glass on top of the Arctic turn. Then I left. I didn't touch anything, since I don't draw, remember? That night at supper, my father asked if I started the job. I nodded. Did I get paid? Tips. Tips? That's all? Tips? Didn't I get paid for the day? I told him I got paid every other Saturday. He told me I was a chump, and he and my brother laughed at me like I was jerk of the world. Like I was never going to see any of that money. Like I was about as useless as a rubber crutch. My mother turned and looked out the window at something far away. That next week, I ran into Lil Spicer three times. The first two times, I looked like a chump. The first time, I'd finally jumped under a sprinkler because it was so hot. The sidewalks were white and shimmery. And if there was any place within ten miles to go swimming, I didn't know about it. I guess I got desperate. So I jumped under a sprinkler not so far from the library, and it was perfect. And I had just come out from under it when, of course, Lil Spicer turned the corner on her bike, looking as cool as if she'd been in Monte Carlo or something. As soon as she saw me, she started to laugh. Did you fall into a pool, she said. It took her a while to say this, since she was mostly snorting. No, I didn't fall into a pool, I said. Did you? <gasps> you did. You went under a sprinkler. I don't know why that's embarrassing. Maybe you guys might think that's embarrassing, to be all dripping wet when there's a girl you like. I don't know. I didn't say anything. What would you have said? You're trying to stay cool by running under sprinklers, just like when you're a cute little boy instead of a skinny thug. Yes, I'm trying to stay cool. I suppose that's one way to do it. Yes, it's one way to do it. Little Spicer started to laugh again. It's a pretty dumb way, she said. Thanks for pointing that out, I said. And went on down the white hot sidewalk, wishing that I wasn't squishing so much. You're leaving, you're leaving footprints, she pointed out. She was laughing so hard she was almost crying. I hate this town. The second time he saw Lil Spicer was on Friday. I was heading toward the library, and yes, I know it's not open on Friday, but who knows if a miracle might happen and it would be open after all. So I was heading to the library, and when I turned the corner, there, two blocks away, was my brother with a new group of criminals. It hadn't taken him long. They were in front of Spicer's deli, probably figuring out how to rob it. My brother sat on a stingray that wasn't his, so uh, we're thinking a stingray is just a bicycle. Not a motorcycle, but a really cool bicycle, okay? My brother sat on a stingray that wasn't his. I guess it's, it belonged to some weak member of the pack. It belongs to one of the kids that's there in the group. And he's probably talking about how hard life was where he had come from, and how he'd been in knife fights that were for real, and how he'd even seen a teacher get knifed, which was all a lie. But when he pulled up his shirt and showed the long scar he'd gotten from climbing over a fence, which is what he's doing right now, pulling up his shirt, who could tell it wasn't a scar from a blade? I moved back into the shadows beneath the tall maples in front of the library. I didn't move. That's how packs detect you. So he's going to try to stay where his brother won't see him because his brother's such a jerk that when they see him then he and the whole gang will be making fun of him that's how packs detect you you move they see you out of the corner of their beady yellow eyes and then they swarm for the kill 
which is why I did not move when I felt a large, wet, sloppy plop drop down from the branches overhead. Large isn't the right word, and drop isn't either. Think pour down for drop down, and you have it about right. There was a rustle, and a crow flew away, grinning. Oh, what happened? <laughs> His bird pooped on him. I did not move. Oh, the plop slimed down my hair, over my ear, oh, and then along my neck and into the collar of my t-shirt, and I still didn't move. I waited. I could feel the bird poop starting to crust over in the heat, and still I didn't move. I waited. He'd rather have this bird crap on him than have his brother and his friends become make fun of him. I waited until finally, finally, Mr. Spicer came out and hollered, and my brother hollered back and stood up on his stingray. He was really pretty good at bouncing on the thing, and then he looked my way. I think my heart stopped. I almost panicked and moved, but someone must have said something probably God, and so he turned and headed the other way on his bike, hollering once more at Mr. Spicer before he left the jerk. My heart started back up again. I waited in the shadows until he biked around the corner with the rest of the pack, and then I reached up to wipe off the bird poop. Except, before I got to it, I heard Lil's voice. Did you know that half your head is covered in bird droppings, she said. It's not bird droppings, I said. It's not dropping. It's one dropping, not droppings. It's not like I stood here and let this army of birds poop on me. So you stood there and let only one bird poop on you. Good for you. I didn't let it poop on me. Oh, she said. Do you know how she said, oh? It wasn't like she was figuring something out and had just gotten it. Like, oh. It was like she was saying that I was the jerk of the world, which I had been hearing a lot lately. It sure is a mess, she said. When you have hair as black as yours, it really shows well. Thanks, I said. Do you need some help cleaning it up, she said. By the way, and not that I think you're not too smart or anything, but I just want to make sure you do know that she wasn't really offering to help, right? No, I said, I don't need any help. If you ask me, she said, pushing her bike past, you are someone who needs a lot of help. She turned and looked back at me. Maybe you should try going under a sprinkler, she said, and smiled helpfully. I smiled back and watched her right away. Then I reached up and felt the bird poop in my hair. It was all crusty, all right, but it was still sticky enough to smear. I rubbed as much as I could out of my hair and onto my fingers and then onto the grass. I didn't get much out before it all hardened. So I did go under sprinkler on the way home. It wasn't a bad idea. The third time he saw Lil that week, I didn't look like a chump at first. I was spading up a place for a garden in front of the dump. And I'm not lying, this was hard work, since no one had spayed up this ground since forever. It took all morning, but I had almost finished when Lil Spicer came riding up on her bike. In her basket, she's got these plants. It was the eeriest thing. It was like we'd had the same dream or something. Hi, she said. Hi, I said. My mother sent these over, she said. How did you know I was digging up a garden? Lil got off her bike and put down the kickstand. My mother's weird like that when it comes to plants. She knows. She reached into her basket and held them up. Daisy, she said. They were long and bright white blossoms fell out of the damp newspaper. We planted them together and watered them and then tightened the soil around them. It means something, you know, when people plant things together. By the time we were done, these daisies were strutting their white hearts out in front of the dump, which didn't look quite so much like a dump anymore. My hands are all dirty, Lil said. I 
almost reached out to hold them. I think she would have let me. How come, when you're feeling good like this, something always happens to wreck it all? How come? So we're standing there, Lil and me, Lil holding up her hands out, and my brother, my jerk brother, comes riding up on his stingray. He gets off and looks at the daisies. Then he looks at us. Nice, he says. Thanks, says Lil, because she doesn't know yet that he's a jerk, and she doesn't know, like you know, that he's not really saying they're nice. Looks like they need some water, he says. Oh, my stomach starts to twist up. They're fine, I say. We've already watered them, says Lil. Not enough, says my jerk brother, and he walks over and stands next to them. He leans down over the first flower and lets fall a glob of spit, about as big as the bird poop. It falls right into the flower, and its head bobs down with the weight. Then my jerk brother leans over to the next flower. He lets fall another glob of spit. Lil gets on her bike and rides away. She's out of there. My brother spits on every one of the flowers. Big globs that he hacks up from deep in his lungs somewhere. Looks a lot better now, don't you think, Duggo? I stood there like a chump. Well, what's he supposed to do? There's nothing he can do. You see how things never go right when you're feeling good? You see how things never go right when you're feeling good, said my father that night. You work like a friggin' dog and get ahead in production because you've been doing a good. No, a great job. And so you take a few more minutes for lunch to relax a little. Who cares? You're still making your quota, so who freaking cares? But it turns out that Mr. Big Bucks Ballard cares, and he lays into you for coming back late, like it's going to cost him a whole dollar and a half. We don't get things done around here by coming back late, he says to me when I come in. Try not to make it a habit. That doesn't sound like he's laying into him. Sounds like he's kindly saying, uh, get back to work. I'll make it a freaking habit if I feel like making it a habit, I almost said to him. And stuff like that, through the meatloaf and green beans and canned peaches. Who's he think he is, said my father. I almost said that maybe Mr. Big Bucks Ballard thinks he's my father's boss. Hmm, but I'm not an idiot. My father's hands were twitching like they wanted to flash out, and I didn't want them to flash out my way. So I shut up and ate, which is what he would have told me to do if I'd said anything anyway. My mother mostly looked out the window. Things never go right when you're feeling good, my father said again. After my father and my brother left, I helped my mother bring the dishes into the kitchen. Thanks for the meatloaf, Mom, I said. Thanks for the daisy, she said. I'll dry, I said. That smile. The next Saturday's deliveries went better, mostly because I remembered the routes. Evelyn Mason on Gardner was waiting for me at the back door, which she held open as I carried her bags of groceries in and put them on the kitchen counter. You're so skinny, she said. I think that's everything, I said. I want you to sit right down there and pour yourself a glass of milk, she said. Then she opened up the box of cinnamon donuts I delivered. You don't know how much I love cinnamon donuts. I had two with a glass of milk. Evelyn Mason looked as happy as I probably looked. I'll order some chocolate donuts for next week, she promised. I didn't tell her not to. On the next run, I got turned around and had to ask a mailman where the Luffler house was. I showed him my map. Oh, you need to be on Washington Street, he said. It's parallel to this one, but two blocks that way. When I got there, Mr. Luffler was sitting on his front porch with a light bulb in his hand. He stood up when he saw me turn the corner. Exactly who I've been waiting to see, he said. I'm not late, I said. Oh, no, no. I just need someone to change the bulb over the back door. I'm a little shaky on ladders, you know. I changed the light bulb while he held the ladder. I climbed down and looked at him. He looked a little shaky on the ground, too. Anything else, I said. 
We went all over his house and changed six light bulbs. He must have spent a lot of time in the dark. That's just great, he said. He was pleased as I'll get out. You could tell. He handed me a dollar bill. For services rendered, he said. On the last run in town, I went to the Daugherty's first. They were the people whose ice cream had melted last Saturday. Mrs. Daugherty met me at the back door. Five kids watched through the screen while she inspected the ice cream straight off. Did the ice cream melt again? The littlest one asked her mother. No, Phronsie, not this time. That's good, Phronsie said to me, because if it was melted, then Ben and Joel and Davy said they were going to have to kill you. I looked at the three boys. They smiled at me. Not really, they said. Oh, don't be too sure, Mrs. Daugherty said to me. And when all that was done, I had to head out to Mrs. Windermere's. It was a load pretty much like last week's, a little more, at $23.65. Don't forget the money, said Mr. Spicer, and I promised I wouldn't. Don't ever turn your back, said Lil. Lillian, said Mr. Spicer. I warned you, she said. It was a day more than hot enough to make you work up a sweat. But the blue on the air went forever, and when the houses gave out and the road passed into the open field, and there was just the sound of cicadas, Marysville didn't seem so bad. Except it would have been a whole lot better with a really cold Coke. Or if Joe Pepitone and I were walking side by side trading stories. And then we stopped for a while and threw in the field with the cicadas. That would have been even better. That would have been a whole lot better. So I was looking out into the field, thinking about throwing with Joe Pepitone. And then this thing happened. Maybe the god of creativity flew by and brushed me with his wing. I don't know. But suddenly, out in the field, it wasn't Joe Pepitone I was throwing with. It was Lucas his big brother, which, just you know, would never have happened. But I could see us, Lucas back from Vietnam and me, throwing out in the field on a blue summer day, like that, throwing back and forth, and the sound of cicadas and bees and high up birds and the leather smell of her gloves and the ball smacking into them. Lucas laughing in the sun. It was almost like seeing a ghost. I got to Mrs. Windermere's and I could hear her typing and dinging. Ding! So I went around to the back door and found the cleverly hidden key and brought in her groceries and put them away, starting with ice cream. Then I swung open the kitchen door and headed into the house to get the $23.65. I followed the sound of her typing and dinging until I could see her through the glass door, typing madly in another opera dress. Pencils still stabbed through her hair, hands flying like birds in a panic. But before I knocked, I went into the blue room. Do you remember what's in there? That's the one with the red-throated divers, with the mom and the three little ones. I don't know how long I stood there, staring at the picture. I didn't even hear the typing and dinging stop, or Mrs. Windermere coming into the room. Aren't they beautiful, she said. I nodded. What kind of ice cream did I order this week? Peppermint. What kind of birds are they? Audubon called them red-throated divers. They're a sort of loon. It's a lovely family group, I think. Peppermint? Some family, I said. No one's paying attention to the mother. Who would blame her if she took off? Look at them. Okay, is this foreshadowing? Is Doug's mom going to leave? Because no one's paying attention to her? A minute or so went by, and then Mrs. Windermere said, in a voice as soft as summer blue air, Skinny delivery boy. You have it all wrong. Look how she's standing close to her little one. She's looking around to watch for the next spectacular thing that's going to come into his life. And I'm not lying. She was right. Oh, there's our foreshadowing. Something spectacular is going to happen to Doug. Something spectacular in his life. 
after dropping off the wagon and pocketing $10 for my pay. So $5 from last Saturday, $5 today, plus Mr. Leffler's dollar, plus a $1.35 tip from Mrs. Windermere and drinking a really cold Coke with Will and not telling her a thing about Mrs. Windermere no matter how hard she tried to make me and not burping until I got out on the street. I went to the library. Mrs. Miriam glanced up when I came in. Oh, it's you, she said, in that disgusting thing on the bottom of my shoe kind of voice. I went upstairs. The lights were on, and Mr. Powell was standing by the glass case. He looked up at me as I came over. The three blank sheets of paper were still there, and there was another pencil, a light blue. I moved the sheets over and looked down at the arctic turn. Those sharp wings, the neck, the beak, everything dropping toward the cold, cold sea. The terrified eye. I let my hand follow the lines over the glass. I stopped over the eye. My fingers moved. I don't think I know your name yet, said Mr. Powell. Doug Switek. Mr. Powell held up the black pencil. Mr. Switek, would you like to try to draw it, he asked. I don't know how, I said. Then let's begin, said Mr. Powell. And I'm not lying. When I took the black pencil in my fingers, it felt spectacular. <laughs>